Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king, so that he was on guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? the servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all round Elisha. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, This is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked. And there they were, inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them, so that they may eat and drink, and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them, and after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Why? Are Christians so self-righteous and so blinkered that they can't see or believe anyone else's point of view? So has 
someone has posted a rant publicly on Yahoo. They go on. Can these people not open their minds to new ideas, discuss, debate them? Are they frightened that they might find out that they might be wrong? Why do Christians want to alienate themselves from the rest of the world by the lack of dialogue and understanding? Why do Christians feel they must take other people's beliefs and rubbish them and consider their beliefs as the right one when clearly they can't prove it any more than the next religion? There's nothing more ignorant than blind faith. Ah, with that last comment, at last, the blogger and I find something we can agree on. There is nothing more ignorant than blind faith. As Christians, we are often criticised unfairly, in my opinion, for having blind faith, for putting blinkers on our eyes, mufflers on our ears, so we don't hear or see anything that conflicts with or challenges with our view of the world. Precisely for that reason, I suffered misgivings a few weeks ago when I heard that Christians were amongst those opposing the promotion of British values in free schools, faith schools and academies. Now, I accept that British values is a very, very woolly concept, and it is tightening up. We may not all agree that things like tolerance or respect for the beliefs of others are necessarily British values. But if what is meant by that catch-all phrase, British values, are things like tolerance and a respect for another's point of view, I think Christians should be endorsing that and saying, yes, this is how we should be. I don't think that means that we are going to end up being wishy-washy in terms of what we think, and we think, oh, whatever somebody believes, that's okay, so long as they're sincere and don't hurt anybody. We, as Christians, need to be convinced of the truth of what we believe, and sufficiently confident in the truth of what we believe, that we are willing to engage with others who disagree with us and genuinely try and hear what they're saying and see things from their point of view. And by that engagement in dialogue to express what we believe in the confidence that we believe the truth. If we don't try and understand the other person's point of view, if we're not confident in what we say so that we can express what we believe clearly, we just end up talking past each other which results in the kind of frustration evidenced by our Yahoo blogger. Christians, we need to know what we believe. We need to be able to express what we believe clearly. We need to be able to listen with understanding to others so that we know what we believe, why we believe it, how we differ from others, where we disagree with them, and at what point we say that point of view is unacceptable and needs to be opposed and resisted. George Bernard Shaw asserted that the moment we want to believe something, we suddenly see all the arguments for it and become blind to the arguments against it. And he has a point. As Christians, if we are to behold what we believe with integrity, we need to guard against going down that intellectual blind alley. Because it's true that there is none so blind as those who will not see. We have a responsibility to keep the eyes of our hearts and the eyes of our minds wide open. 
We don't need to be afraid of truth because all truth is God's truth. And sometimes in trying to relate what we read in the Bible to the world as we see it, our own experience, we we will have difficulty correlating these things and putting them all within the same frame of our worldview. Sometimes that can mean taking a step back and rethinking through an aspect of our faith so that it makes sense again in the light of what we know from other sources. That can be a difficult process to go through. Sometimes that means we come out the other end with our faith looking quite a different shape, but still intact, honed and strengthened and informed by that process. If we do that, if we are prepared to do that, we are not willfully blind. We have our eyes open to what we read in the Scriptures. We have our eyes open to what we see in the world. And we try at all times with integrity to make connections between the two. Christians are not people who close their eyes to the reality that surrounds us. On the contrary, Christians have our eyes open to realities that cannot be perceived with the naked eye or verified by a process of empirical investigation. And having that faith doesn't mean that we are blind. A better way of describing our worldview might be to say that we have deeper insight or second sight or we are aware of things that cannot easily be perceived to others. We are aware of an extra spiritual dimension to life. Other people, perhaps, close their minds too. We all lament the death of the the late Robin Williams. One of his most famous roles was that of John Keating in the film Dead Poets Society. And his character says these words, We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. Medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. Poignant words given his tragic suicide the other week. But things like romance and beauty and poetry and love, these are echoes, these are reflections, these are glimpses of the spiritual realm and the reality of God that lies behind these things. And when people come close to things like beauty and love, they come close to God whether they recognise the existence of God or not. Doctor Who fans will be aware that There is even a possibility that Daleks might be made good by an encounter with beauty if they're wired the right way. As Christians, we don't just see the beauty. We don't just see the poetry. We don't just experience the love. We see the God who is behind these things as the ultimate reality that there is in the universe. In 2 Kings 6, the king of Aram tells his servants to go and find out where Elisha is because he's fed up with the prophet listening to his every word. The Aramean tracks Elisha down in the city of Dothan and overnight they surround the city, trapping Elisha and his servant inside. 
And when his servant sees the city surrounded by an army of chariots and horsemen, he is dismayed. But Elisha says, look, don't be scared. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And saying these words, he prays, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And when the servant's eyes are opened, he looks and he sees a wall of horses and chariots of fire surrounding Elisha. That's why the prophet is not afraid. He knows that he is not outnumbered. An individual with God is never in a minority. The servant's eyes are opened to the reality of the spiritual realm he hadn't seen before. And when he saw it, he wasn't afraid anymore. Now, I suspect that in this congregation and other people listening to the podcast or whatever will respond to this story in different ways. There are those of us who listen and accept that Elisha really was surrounded by angels. And that we here in this church building or wherever we are at the point of listening to the sermon, we ourselves are surrounded as well by the same kind of unseen host. Others of us may be a little bit more cautious than that. It's a good story. And one that's designed to inspire us and encourage us. And we may not literally believe that there are angels and chariots of fire surrounding us, but they symbolise the truth that God is with us and we are not alone. Because he's promised never to leave us, never forsake us. And we can trust in the divine providence and the divine protection that we know is there, even though we can't see it. And we could have quite an interesting discussion about different interpretations of that story and how we respond to it. Because what we see with the eye of faith is intangible. We can't prove anything in either direction. But we can listen to each other, we can engage with each other, and we can be persuaded in our own minds what we believe. And we can be encouraged in our trust that whether the angels and chariots of fire are real or not, God is with us as he has promised. Now the atheist may dismiss all that as a load of rubbish. An atheist too entitled to do so. But it will not do for the atheist to say, you Christians are blind. Because we're not blind. We don't have a blind faith. Our eyes are open to the existence of spiritual realities that the atheist cannot see and will not accept. If anyone's eyes are closed, it's theirs rather than ours. Elisha and his servant both see the advancing Aramean army, and after Elisha's prayer, they also see the host of heaven surrounding them. The Aramean army not only failed to see the host of heaven, they are subsequently struck with blindness so they can't even see where they are going. It's quite a polemical story, really. They find Elisha, the man they're looking for, but in their blindness, they either fail to recognise him, they certainly don't apprehend him. He leads them to Samaria, the capital city of Israel, where their sight is restored, and they realise they've walked right in to the heart of the enemy capital city. 
But there, at Elisha's instigation, their sight is restored, they are treated to a great feast and sent on their way in peace. If there is blindness in the story, it is not the blindness of those who have faith. And the same is true today. A good friend of mine, not particularly noted for his orthodoxy, once observed that the foolish person believes nothing until it's been proved. But the wise person is prepared to believe anything until it be disproved. As Christians, we do not close our eyes or our minds to the possibility of the existence of such heavenly beings and chariots of fire as described in this passage, to the reality of God that is with us. We walk, as Elisha did, by faith rather than by sight. But that doesn't mean that we are blind. That means that we see things that others can't. And that provides a deeper dimension to our lives and a different direction to how we live. We all know the phrase chariots of fire from the film of that name, made back in 1981. According to Wikipedia, the inspiration for the title chariots of fire comes from Blake's famous hymn, Jerusalem, which many of us sang when we were at school, which includes the line, bring me my chariot of fire. That refers to Elisha's predecessor, Elijah, who ascended to heaven in a chariot of fire. And it may refer to the God-given speed of people like Eric Little and Harold Abrahams, the runners represented in the film. Yet the plural chariots of fire is found in this passage, where Elisha opens the eyes of his servant to see the chariots of fire which surround them. And that directs our attention perhaps beyond the athletes themselves, seeing the chariots of fire as the hidden sources of strength that enabled them to surpass other people's expectations and do what even was beyond what without training and inspiration and encouragement they would have been able to do. Eric Little was a man of faith and his running expressed his faith. God made me fast and when I run I feel his pleasure is one of the lines in the film. Whatever situation or challenges we face in these coming days or weeks or months, whether it's the situation at work or family, whether it is the situation we read about in the news, whether it's because our faith is challenged by the new uh, strident atheism, remember, remember that you are not alone. Ask God to open the eyes of your heart so that you might be aware of his presence with you to the host of heaven unseen that surrounds you, to the chariots of fire which are your source of strength and inspiration. Just be aware that those who are with you are more than those ranged against you. Open your eyes and draw strength and comfort from what cannot be seen, because our God has promised he will never leave us, nor forsake us. And we walk into the future with our eyes open to the reality of his presence with us, 
his protection over us and his providence for us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.